0: So much that you are the God who has preserved this story, the God who initiated this story, and the God who sustains this story. We ask today that we might be caught up in it and find our place in it. And we ask you to do this through your Holy Spirit and by your word. But we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to think this morning about story. Does anyone like stories? Yes, everybody likes stories, we tell stories, we remember stories, and particularly when you're a kid, you can't get to bed until you've had a story, is that right? Um, and, and if you're a person who watches TV before you go to bed, doing the same thing, aren't you, Just watching a story before you go to bed, it's just a big adult one, really, that's, that's what's going on. We love stories, and I want to ask you today, what's your story? What is your story? Now, we could do it in the sense of um, the the, the kind of, tell us about your ancestry, tell us about your history, tell us about the events of your life, and that would be productive, but it might take a little bit of time this morning if we all did that one at a time, wouldn't it? But when you ask people to tell you their story, what you're hearing is their edited account of all the things that happened to them that make sense of their life. And guys, over morning tea, it'd be a wonderful thing to say, hey, what's your story? Tell us a little bit of your story. There's only so much we can tell over morning tea. But as we start to share the events that shape us, we get to know each other better. And there is a story that's our personal story, but I want to think more deeply. There's actually a story that you use to explain the world beyond you. There's a story that you use to explain the world beyond you. Now, let me give you some stories that people around us could be running on. Some, some people here could be running on us. There's the story of career. Let me tell you how I'm getting on in the world. Let me tell you about my achievements. And so we orientate our life about getting ahead. Uh, I don't know that anyone would say this out loud, but it's a story of catalogs. In other words, I want to tell you about my possessions, the stuff that I'm trying to acquire, the things that I'm going to do. It's, it's a accumulating life maybe it's a story about my calendar which is really just another way of saying not not so much productivity probably the word we'd use is busy can I tell you how busy I am I'm really busy I had a busy week can I do, do you know that feeling this is your little time out moment in the week where we stop for a second. Uh, so then, then we've got maybe a story about conflict. And so the idea is about justice and power. This happened to me and I'm trying to put it right. Or I can't believe that this happens in the world and so I'm pouring myself out to make it right. right? So there's a, there's a conflict uh, story Or maybe there's a culture story that you're telling. You're trying to influence a particular outcome. You're trying to change some way the way the world works. And it's a story about who's included and about who's excluded. It's a story about culture. Or maybe it's a story about catastrophe. There's an incredible danger that I'm trying to organize my life to avoid. A story about catastrophe. Or maybe it's a story about capitalism, although we'd never say this, but what we're really saying is it's about making money. How do I get enough money to make sure that my debts are paid, that I am getting wealthy and that everything is moving forward? Or maybe it's just a story about children, uh, about not, not, not so much about dirty nappies and stories at bedtime, but, but it's really about trying to live our lives through them. How do I give them every opportunity that I didn't have? How do I make sure that they're happy and safe? And so we orientate everything around the next generation. And guys, I think they are stories that we tell and they, and they orientate us. And I want to suggest to you today that as Christians, we have a different story than that. It it may touch all of those things. In fact, all of those areas of our lives that could be legitimate ways to use our time and our talents and our treasure will be shaped by the fact that we say we're about His kingdom. Building His kingdom and not our own. Well, when we think about the story that we tell, I want to suggest to you that our story will reveal, the story that is actually orientated in your head, your story will reveal what you believe is the biggest challenge. It will reveal what is the strongest resource that you can call on, and it will reveal what your greatest hope is. It will reveal your biggest challenge, your strongest resource, and your greatest hope. And what we're going to look at today is this story that is the overarching story that goes from the Old Testament into the New. It's the story of Abraham. And I want to show you today that it is the dominant story, the story that we should find our story within. And I I would love to drill into each one of these chapters that we're going to look at today, and I'd love to pull apart all the little details, but we're not going to do the sentences today. I want to give you a big, broad-brush account of the story of Abraham. So we're going to do some Bible-flipping. Okay, And we're going to be looking across the whole scope of the Bible. And I want you to join me on that, uh, on that journey. So here, here's our Bible timeline. You can see it up there. And we're up to now. We've done, uh, we've done creation. We've done the fall. Last week we did Noah. And this week we're doing Abraham's story. We're doing the story of Abraham. So what do we need to know if we're going to say that we understand the story of Abraham. Well, just we need to go back just one step before to see that in Genesis chapter 11, we saw that sin, the sin of people, had led to their scattering all over the earth. Now, you guys remember the Tower of Babel? At least, potentially, we do. And the Lord sees the people gathering together and looking to build a tower. And the Lord said in Genesis eleven six 6-8, if as one people, speaking the same language... They've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. And we won't go into a sermon on the Tower of Babel today, but the creation ordinance had been, you were to fill the earth and multiply, yes? And so it was a command to go out, and here sinful humanity had gathered together. And God said, that's not going to work. I'm going to confuse your languages, and I'm going to scatter you across the whole earth. Now, when we come to Genesis chapter 12, we're going to see that God takes the initiative to speak to scattered humanity. God takes the initiative in Genesis chapter 12. So have a look with me. You've got it open there in front of you. Uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abram... Now, it's really interesting to note, if you don't know, I'm not mispronouncing his name. His name gets changed later on to Abraham, and Sarai gets changed to Sarah, okay? But for a while, his name is Abram. God said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. So God intervenes. He picks one man, and he says, Abram, I'm going to talk to you, and I want you to do something. I want you to go from your country. I want you to go from your people. I want you to go from your household. And essentially what he's saying to him is, in practice, what I want you to do is to go and find a new identity. Because all of these things define us, don't they? Where are you from? Who are your people? Who is your father? This is, I am Stuart, the son of Greg. Now, we don't do that in our culture, but in their culture, that was absolutely what you would do. Your identity is bound up in your descent, in your, where you're grounded, and who your people are. Okay, we'd say we're Australians, I guess, okay, and, and maybe some of us wear that more proudly than others, but some of us who are here today and people I spoke to through the week would say, No, I left all those things. I've come to Australia. And maybe I'm not yet Australian, or maybe I'm in the process of becoming Australian, but I'm in between. I've had that leaving. I've had that leaving, and and I'm adrift until I make myself into somebody else here. And so God is speaking to Abram, and he says, I want you to leave behind all that defines you. Now, if that's all he said, it would be a pretty big ask, wouldn't it? But God promises God promises. And so I want you to see, you can see up here, maybe it's not as clear as it could be. I I said God took the initiative. I want you to see, God says, I will, I will, I will, I will. What does God will for Abram? This is what he says, verses 2 to 3, these incredibly famous promises. He says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now these are absolutely spectacular promises. They're spectacular promises to one man. And and what we see is, you remember what he was told to leave? I want you to see how what God promises him answers his loss. Okay, If you think about his country, God says, I will give you land. If you think about his people, God says, I will make you a nation. If we think about his household, his, his descent, God says, I will make your name great. No longer will you say, people will say, you're Abram, the son of Terah. How many people know his father's name? We count ourselves as sons and daughters of Abraham, don't we? So he says, I will make your name great. The greatness of your name will not be derived from who your father is, but from my blessing on your life. Isn't that awesome? And then he says, one more thing I will do. He says, I will bless all the nations of the earth through you. I haven't really got time to, to do this, but I just want to stop for a second and think about this. What if the Lord Jesus appeared to you and he said, I'm going to bless everybody who exists through you personally that is a truly radical thought isn't it of all the scattered nations in the world they will be blessed through you extraordinary but that's what happens to abram we see that he responded in faith he trusted god have a look with me in verses four to five so abram went as the lord had told him and lot went with him that's that's his um nephew Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. And it says that when he got there, he worshipped the Lord his God, but he took no possession of it. He just went and camped in the land that the Lord had told him. And it strikes me, do you see how old he was? Is anyone here 75 or older? Can you put your hand up? I see those hands. Fantastic. Well done, guys. I'm glad that you're here. What I I discovered as I was reflecting on this is that God starts with a grey nomad. He starts this incredible plan to bless the whole universe with a grey nomad. He says, well, get up. You're 75 years old. I've got a plan for you. Leave everything you know and go on a journey to a land I will show you in the future. It's extraordinarily faithful of God, isn't it, to pick this guy and to think that something could happen through him i want you to see that faith the faith that's in this passage is faith that moves faith that isn't just up here or maybe even a warm feeling in here it's a faith that does something faith is trust that moves trust that moves Okay, let's go to chapter 15, because we see uh, Abram does move, and there's some really interesting bits in between. And if we had a whole series on Abraham, which we might come back and do later, we could unpack all of that. But we won't do that. We're going to go to chapter 15, and I want you to see that God's delay is not God's denial. Okay, because God said, I'm going to make all the nations of the world blessed through you, and you're going to have offspring. Right? And he goes, great. I look forward to having a kid in about nine months' time. Sounds brilliant, God. But it's not how it unfolded. It took years and years. Have a look with me at verse 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. So Abram was starting to be afraid. God, did you really speak to me? I, I don't own a, a bit of land. I, 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 have, I have no descendants yet. And yet you've told me these great and precious promises. And God says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I am your shield and your very great reward. And so Abram comes back like I assume you and I would. In verse 2 he says, but Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. The guy's going to get some tents and lamps He's not a son of mine, and I don't have anywhere to bury my body in the country that you gave me. God, what are you doing? Do you know questions like these? God, what on earth are you doing? How could this be happening to me? How could I know that you're for me, (laughs) you're for me, not against me, right? But then this week, do you know what's happened to me? God, where are you? How can I trust you still? How can I trust you still? And I want you to see that God will renew his promise to Abram. H- have a look at verses 4 and 5. Then the word of the Lord came to him and said, You sinful, doubting loser. Now guys, seriously, we'll have it aside for a second. That's not what it said in the Bible, did it? Some of you got your Bibles open so you can tell, right? That's not what God said. But gee, we can feel, or maybe in the, in, the, in the words of other Christians speaking to us, we can feel, well, if we're doubting, we've failed. Is that right? And that is not the way God speaks to him. It's not the way God speaks to him. Have a listen to these words. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside And said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. Now just as a brief aside, he didn't take him outside Norum Park and say, if you can count the stars. He goes, yeah, I can get to five. Have you been out recently trying to look at the stars in Norum Park? It's It's a desperate business. Go to the country where there's no light and stand out there under the expanse of heaven and be blown away. And that's what God did. He took him outside and showed him. And I want you to see Abram's response. I want you to see Abram's response. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. This is one of these great statements in the Old Testament. I want to just briefly tell you why it's so good, right? It says that he credited it to him as righteousness. And righteousness is right standing. It's being okay before God, Okay? It's being okay before God. And God says, I see your faith and I'm going to count you as in right standing before me. It says that he credited it to him. In other words, God accounted right standing to Abram when he didn't deserve it. He said, I see your faith in me and because I'm righteous, I'm going to go to your ledger and say, I'm going to put some of my righteousness against your name. You will be in right standing because you trusted me. It's not because you're a better human than anyone else. It's because I love you. And your trust for me means I will count you in right standing before me. How wonderful is that? Now, we could leave it there and we can go, Abram's a hero, right? But he's got a little bit of a problem. He says, well, what about the land? I'm not in in the land. He says, how can I know that I will take possession of it? And this is is God's God's response in verses 7 to 8. The Lord said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land, to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know? How can I know that I will gain possession of it? And we think, hang on, wasn't Abram this man of faith? How do we get to a second question he's got the kid one sorted out and now he goes yeah yeah god but what about the land how about that and i want you to see that doubt and faith can coexist do you see this he's he's full of faith i believe i can have a child but i'm not sure i'm going to get the land that they they coexist together And, and maybe you know something of that experience And then I want you to see what God does. God, God again, is gracious to him. Have a look at verse 9 and following. So the Lord said to him, "'Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half.'" you guys go well why didn't he cut the birds in half i kind of reckon you're left with just a bloody handful in either hand okay nothing very spectacular all right but but i do think it's it's pretty interesting those of you who were um, here for the um, men and meat night some of you it took a little while to get through the lamb right what did he have to cut up a cow and a sheep and a goat and then he didn't cut up the birds guys i'm going to tell you that's some work It says afterwards he fell into a deep sleep, and I was pondering this for a while, and I was like, do you know what? He's probably just absolutely (laughs) worn out, having done all the butchery for the first part of what's going on. I I want you to think about why this cutting in half of animals, right? So you've got half an animal here, half an animal here. What what on earth is that about? We see in Jeremiah 34, uh, God speaking to his people, and he says this, those who have violated my covenant... And have not fulfilled the terms of the covenant they made before me, I will treat like the calf they cut in two and then walked between its pieces. Here's the, here's the thing that would happen, right? In order to make a covenant, you would say, This is the this is the agreement that we're making together. You cut the animals in half, and then the two of you walk between the halves of the animals. You walk between the halves of the animals together, and what you're essentially saying as you do that is, if we don't keep our part of the covenant, may we be as them. In other words, tear me in half if I'm not faithful to what I just promised to do with you. Does that make sense? I mean, probably doesn't make sense. It's a bloody mess, isn't it, really? But, but here's the thing. He's saying, essentially, I commit to keeping my word. And if I don't, may terrible things happen to me. Are you with me? Okay. So that's what's going on. But I want you to see this incredible detail in there. I want you to see that God alone assumes the penalties of this covenant. God alone assumes the penalties of this covenant. Have a look at what happens. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, says in verse 17, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, to him and said, "To your descendants, I give this land." So here's the radical thing: Only God, symbolized by the fire pot and the blazing torch, goes between the pieces. God says, "If this covenant is broken, I will assume responsibility." And guys, we see this throughout the Bible. We see in Isaiah 53, we see that Jesus will be pierced for our transgressions. We see in Romans 5, we're told that very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, but God demonstrates his love for us in this, while we were still sinners, who died? Christ. Christ died for us. In other words, God says, I will bear the penalty for the breaking of this covenant, not Abraham. Do you see that? That's absolutely incredible, Right? So does God keep the bit about the child? Does he actually maintain the promise about the child? In Genesis 21, we see that a child is finally born. Now, the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abram in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Now, when we say his old age, Sarah was 90 and Abraham was 100 when their boy was born, Isaac, the child of promise. What a beautiful thing. God maintained his promise miraculously, despite all loss of hope on behalf of both of them, I'm sure. God, in fact, kept his promise and was faithful to them. Well, why does that matter? It it matters because God's a covenant-keeping God. He said he would give them A name. He said he would give them a child. He said he would give them a nation. He said he would give them a land. Do they get the land? Well, if you stay with us in this series, what you're going to see, this is Abraham's story here. What we're going to see after we go through Egypt and the Ten Commandments and wandering in the desert, we eventually get here to the promised land. It does happen, but you're going to have to keep coming back to church to find out how. Cliffhanger, right? It does happen because God is faithful but But, what about the blessing to all the people on the earth? How will that happen? God blesses all through Jesus. And I want you to see that Matthew tells us he is a descendant of Abraham. Have a look at this in, in Matthew chapter one, it says, "This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And it starts off by telling us that Abraham was the father of Isaac. Do you see it doesn 't say that Abraham was the son of Terah, did did you see that? It starts at Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. And it goes all the way through until we get to Joseph and Jesus. In uh, in Galatians chapter 3, this is where we get into the story. Because being a Jew meant that you were descended from Abraham. No problems. We received the blessing of Abraham through descent. But what about you and I, who on the whole, I'm going to guess, aren't Jewish? How do we get included in this promise? It tells us in Galatians 3.14, He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. You and I are sons and daughters of Abraham, not because we're descended by blood, but because we're joined by faith. Because we're joined by faith. And this is how blessing comes to the whole earth. We see we are Abrahams by faith. There's a beautiful chapter, Romans chapter 4, and I'd love to read all of it today. I'm being very restrained and not. Go home and look at it yourselves. In Romans 4 verse 16 it says, Therefore the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring not only to those who are of the law, that's the Jews, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. So in other words, if you believe like Abraham, guess what? You're descendants of Abraham in the spiritual sense. So we can sing, Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons. No one knows it anymore, that's okay. It's a beautiful song, it's my favourite Uh, We are sons and daughters of Abraham by virtue of faith. I want you to see that the true promised land is still awaiting us. The true promised land is still awaiting us. It is not Israel. Everyone look at me. It is not Israel. You and I are not going to live in Israel. Okay? Here's what it says in Hebrews 11. It's an extraordinary passage. If I had more time, I'd read all of it to you. But here's what it says. By faith, Abram, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. In other words, Abraham knew there was a better and lasting country. And you and I do too. And I would love for you to read Hebrews chapter 11 today and to see that beautiful home that awaits all who are trusting by faith. This is our true promised home, not Israel but a new creation, a new heaven, and a new earth. Well, what do people who know this story know? What do people who know this story know? Well, first of all, they know some history. They know that the man Abraham was promised by God, and that God kept his promise. They know some theology. They know that God is a promise-keeping God. They know the trajectory of the Bible, that we're heading towards new creation and our true promised home. They know majesty, the God who is able to plan it and execute it is worthy of our worship. But more than any of that, they know their identity. Who are we? We are children of Abraham by faith. That is who we are. So what should we do? Well, we should treasure this story and God's track record. You should know this story. You should turn it over in your heart. You should treasure it. You should trust in the midst of doubt and delay. Why? Why? Because God's delay is not his denial. Trust God in the midst of your doubt and in the midst of delay. And let us worship this promise-keeping God. He is worthy of the best that we can offer him. So what I want you to do today is I want you to choose to find your story in his story. Your story makes sense of your story in light of his story. So what are the biggest challenges? To see the blessing of God come to every home in Oran Park and the growing Southwest and the world. That's the biggest challenge that we have. The strongest resource we have is the God who is our strength and our shield. What is the greatest hope we have? A home with the Lord which will never perish, fail or fade. That's my greatest hope. And so what I want to encourage you to do is to choose to find your story in his story. Find a faith that moves you. Maybe to take a day off, to come and tell some kids about the Lord Jesus. Who would do that? Who would give up their annual leave to talk to children? Unless, of course, it was an opportunity to proclaim the story of God, which defines our story. We want to see new life come to every home, and I'm going to pray that we would do that because we find our story in his story. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you're a good God. You're a promise-keeping God. You're the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You are my God. And I pray, Father, we would make sense of all of our longings for wealth, our struggles with culture, our relational difficulties, the dangers and challenges of this world. Father, we would make sense of them in light of your story we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. I'm pretty pumped up, hey? Like, it's a great story. Well, what I'd like you to do is to take out your Care and Connect cards. If you're new with us today, um, you might be able to find after the uh, service, somebody who has a badge like this on, uh, they would love to talk to you about getting connected to our church here. You might like to let us know on the card that you'd like to join a life group. You might like to sign up for our community news. Uh, you might like to come to one of our new and newish uh, afternoon teas, which are a great place to get started, uh, that are coming up. If you are new, uh, you might want to tick that box. If you're a regular, guess what? You can still use the cards. We love praying for you. We get together as a staff team and a pastoral care team at, um, on Monday morning, and we pray for you. You might say, God, I am struggling to make sense of your story and my story at the moment. Please pray for me about we will be faithful in lifting you up before the Lord Jesus. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that now. I'm going to fill mine in before we invite the band up to lead us in our last song.